Well, praise the Lord. It's great to be here tonight. And uh, Leather Jason Levitt's band, we just uh, finished up a revival up in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. So we were together Monday night through Wednesday night. And then we have been anticipating being here at Schindler Drive Baptist Church. So Pastor Jonathan, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to be a part of your Renew Weekend. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 1. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. And tonight I'm preaching on this subject, Jesus is a way maker. Jesus is a way maker. From the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. Would you please stand with your Bibles open in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And the Bible says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, now that's John the Baptist, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Let's pray together. Dear God, I ask you to put in my mouth your words. I pray, Lord, tonight you will free us of distractions. And I pray that you'll give our hearts ears to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. And I confess that the devil is a defeated foe. And Jesus Christ, your Lord of all, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. One of the most dynamic and dramatic men in all the Bible was this man, John the Baptist. But here we see him sitting in a dungeon cell in a prison fortress not far from the Dead Sea. And he's not in jail because he did wrong. He's in jail because he did right. He's not in jail because he displeased God. He's in jail because he is dead sinner in the will of God. Boldly, he stood before the king. And he said to King Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He said, You busted up your brother's home and you stole his wife. And basically said to the king, you are living in adultery. Well, the king didn't like that, but his wife especially did not like that. And so John is in jail staring at four walls. This is the John the Baptist that spent a whole lot of time in the River Jordan baptizing those with repentant hearts who he was pointing to the coming Christ. This is John the Baptist who slept out under the stars lived out under the stars, and his ministry was not in a building, but it was out there in God's creation in the wilderness of Judea. But now, sitting alone in that jail cell, wondering where Jesus is, because does the Old Testament not prophesy that Jesus the Messiah would come and bring liberty to the captives? And yet, he's still a captive. He's still incarcerated. He's facing possible death. So two of his followers, 
two of John's disciples come to make a visit there in the jail cell. And he says, I need you to go to Jesus, and I've got some doubts. And I want you to take my doubts to him, and I want to find out if I really need to be looking for someone else. Now, I'm really shocked that this man had any doubts because this is the man who was prophesied by the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, and Malachi the prophet. I think it's a pretty big deal when you are the subject of Bible prophecy. I mean, here's the man whose birth was announced by an angel to his dad when his dad, a priest, was ministering in the temple. Here is a man who, in the womb of his mother, when Mary came into the room and Jesus was in her womb, when she came in with Christ in her womb, the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaped with joy in the womb of his mother at the very presence of Jesus Christ before he was ever born. In fact, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And to think about that day he baptized Jesus. He looks up and there is Jesus Christ, this one he's been expecting, the one he's preparing the way for. Here is Jesus Christ standing right there and he recognizes who he is. Because he says, well, wait a minute, I, I don't need to baptize you, you need to baptize me. But Jesus Christ insisted upon being baptized. And then holding, now think about this, holding Jesus in his own hands. Holding the living Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us in his hands. When he brings him up out of the water, the heavens are opened. And the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form. And the voice of God Almighty speaks and says, This is my beloved Son. And in that moment, he had this unique experience of experiencing the entire Godhead in that one moment of time. He's holding in his arms God the Son. He sees the Holy Spirit descending in bodily shape. And here's the Father speaking, saying, This is my beloved Son. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. What a privilege. And then one day, he was standing, teaching, and preaching. And Jesus Christ comes by, and he gets everybody's attention. And he says, Behold. That means lift up and gaze upon. Behold. The Lamb of God. He's pointing at Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says a whole lot in that one statement. He says all those lambs in the Old Testament, all those ceremonies in the tabernacle and the temple, it was all pointing to this man right here. This is the Messiah of Israel. This is the Son of God. And he has come to die in a sinner's place on an old rugged cross as the Lamb of God, as a sacrifice for our sins. He is in that one moment explaining and preaching the gospel and he's saying that Jesus Christ is the one everybody in the Old Testament has been expecting, pointing to Jesus Christ is the one. But now, sitting in a jail cell, he begins to doubt. There are two things I want you to notice in these scriptures tonight to help you to understand that Jesus Christ really is a way maker. First of all, I want you to notice here we have an unsettling question. It really is unsettling. 
that John the Baptist, who had these wonderful experiences, asked this question. I want you to go to Jesus and ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, some Bible commentators have tried to say that John didn't have any doubts, but the two disciples had some doubts. And so, to allay their doubts, he asked the question, and he sends them with the question so that they can have their doubts satisfied. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says John's having this doubt. Do you know, sometimes in the life of a Christian, we have doubts. Sometimes we face challenges and difficulties and we wonder, where is God? We have all these wonderful Bible promises, and we pray, but we see no visible answer. We're living in a time of fear, grief, anxiety, and sadness. We're living in a time where, honestly, it would be very easy to sit down like John and wonder, where is God? You know, sometimes we see it even in the Bible, that God doesn't seem to come through. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into the fire. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Paul and Silas, they get put in jail. John the Baptist is incarcerated in a dungeon. But the real dungeon he finds himself in is not a dungeon made with the hands of man. It is the mental dungeon of doubt. So I just want you to understand in the life of a Christian, there are going to be times when we cry out to God and we wait and it doesn't seem like God's answering. There are going to be times when we go through experiences that we say are unjust and unfair. There are times when we go through experiences where we say, where is the love of God in all of this? There are times when we seek to have faith and we seek to be true and we seek seek to do the right thing and yet we are shaken because bad things are happening to God's people and good things are happening to really bad people. I want to tell you something about that question. That question really helps me to understand some things about doubt. This whole experience he had with Jesus. And, and I, I want you to get this tonight. Listen very closely to what I'm getting ready to say. Lean in. It is no sin to doubt. It is no sin to doubt. Doubt and unbelief are two different things. Unbelief is the product of a wicked heart. But doubt is the product of a restless mind. I'm telling you, when you're facing worries and anxieties and you're facing fears and you're facing trouble, the enemy of our soul, the devil, will begin to lob those fiery darts right here between your ears and before you know it, you have doubts. But here's the wonderful thing. You may doubt Jesus, but if you're his child, Jesus Christ is never going to doubt you. Some of God's greatest children in the Bible, some of his greatest believers in the Bible had moments when they had nagging doubts. So right up here between his ears, John is having some doubts and wondering if God has abandoned him, wondering if God has forgotten him. And tonight I speak to someone here because of the valleys you've had to walk through, because 
of all of the anxious cares that you're carrying in your heart and mind. You wonder sometimes, has God forgotten my phone number? Has God forgotten my address? Has God forgotten that I'm down here worshiping him at Schindler Drive Baptist Church and I'm seeking to do his will because I seem to be praying and it's hitting that ceiling like a tennis ball and it's bouncing right back and hitting me between the eyes. I'm just telling you tonight, don't let the devil beat you up and beat you down and load you down with guilt because it's not a sin to doubt it's the product of a restless mind the second thing when i think about this unsettling question about doubt is i begin to discover here now think about this think about this doubt does not disqualify you from serving jesus worshiping jesus christ doing the work of the lord jesus christ in this world today you know if we were to have kept reading there, reading there in Matthew chapter 11, uh, those two disciples, they show up and they ask this question to the Lord. Are you, John, and, and, and they do it in front of everybody. I mean, all of these people that are seeking the healing power of Jesus Christ, they say it in front of all these people. They say, John the Baptist sent us to ask you a question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus Christ sends them back to tell something to John. And after those two men leave to go back with a message from the Lord to John, Jesus turns to that crowd. Now, you would have expected him to say something like this. I'm really shocked. Of all the people in the world that would have doubted me, I would have never thought it would have been John the Baptist. I mean, he baptized me. I mean, he signed my baptismal certificate. I mean, one day he actually pointed at me and, and he said that I am the one. I am really disappointed in him. That's not what Jesus said. If you were to read on down there in Matthew chapter 11, as soon as those two men leave to go back to John, Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, I want to tell you something about John the Baptist. He said, there has never been a greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. Wow. He doesn't condemn him and he doesn't critique him what he does ultimately, we shall see, is comfort him. When I look at that unsettling question, it helps me understand something else about doubt. It helps me to understand where to take my doubts. When you have a doubt, where do you take the doubt? You do what John did. John had the doubt taken to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you doubt, you get real honest. And you say, Lord, I'm having some doubts, but I'm going to bring my doubts. And I'm going to bring my anxieties, and I'm going to bring my questions, and I'm going to bring my fears, and I'm going to bring all my hang-ups that I'm going through right now. And all these worries, I'm going to just pile them up here at your nail-scarred feet, and I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus Christ, to take care of all of these nagging doubts that are in my brain and, and disturbing my soul. So... First of all, we have here in the Word of God an unsettling question. So remember, it's not a sin to doubt. Doubt doesn't disqualify you from serving Christ or worshiping Christ. And when you have doubts, 
take those doubts to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's not going to critique you, he's not going to condemn you, and he's not going to reject you. He's going to receive you, and he is going to minister to the doubts that are in your mind. But not only do we have an unsettling question, we have an undeniable answer. Now, won't you look at the answer that Jesus gives John? It says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and you see. Look around here. The blind see. Look over at that guy over there. The lame walk. Look, look over there. The lepers are cleansed. And how about this fellow over here? The deaf here. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's what Jesus said to them to go tell John. That's the answer right there. You need to understand tonight, there's a fourfold purpose in the miracles of Jesus. A fourfold purpose. The first purpose of the miracles of Jesus is to accredit his ministry. They're his credentials. In other words, when Jesus Christ came into a community saying, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah of Israel. To demonstrate it, he did what only the Messiah could do. What only God Almighty could do. Uh, the blind, they get sight. The deaf get their hearing. The lame get up and walk. The lepers are cleansed from their leprosy. And he's even raising the dead. And in the midst of it all, he preaches the gospel and tells people how they can have their sins forgiven. And so he fulfills all of the prophetic picture in the Old Testament of the Messiah, but with, by demonstrating the power of God, doing what only God can do, what he was saying is, I, I'm more than a man. I'm the God-man. I'm divine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not another priest. I'm not another prophet. I'm not another religious leader. I am the second person of the divine trinity come from heaven to earth. I've clothed my majesty in flesh and blood, but I want you to know divine God stands before you today. I'm more than a man. That's the first purpose of his miracle. The second purpose of his miracles was to give us a little foretaste of what's to come. Here's a man, he's not blind anymore. Here's somebody over here, they're not deaf anymore. Here's somebody over here, they can walk, they're not lame anymore. Here's somebody, they, they've come out of the grave, they're alive forevermore, they're not dead. Here's, here's somebody with a, with a terrible disease and they're completely cured. It was, it was incurable in that day, but he's cured the incurable. And that gives us a picture of heaven. Because I want to tell you folks in heaven, there's not going to be any blind eyes and there's not going to be any deaf ears and there's not going to be any lame limbs and there's not going to be any sickness and there's not going to be any hospitals, and there's not going to be any disease, and there's not going to be any arthritis or bursitis or gingivitis, and no sad goodbyes, and no pandemic, and no coronavirus, and none of the things that weigh us down here up there in heaven. We're going to be 
perfect, my friend, in the presence of a holy God. And it also gives us a glimpse of someday when Jesus Christ comes again. Because when he sets up his earthly kingdom, I'm telling you, there's going to be none of these things that plague us now because we are living in a fallen creation. I'm telling you, there's a land that is fairer than day. There's a place that is called paradise. It's a place where we never grow old and the sun never sets. It's a place where we never have to be lonely and there's no termites and there's no committee meetings. Take me home, Lord Jesus, right now. That's the second purpose of miracles. So miracles are the credentials of our Lord. They accredit His ministry. Miracles, and I think it's a wonderful thing, they give us a little foretaste of what's to come. We see all those people around Jesus healed. We think about what's going to come someday in the sweet by and by. But also these miracles, listen very closely, show us a third purpose. There's a third purpose in the miracles of Jesus. It shows us the compassion and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was constantly relieving human misery. I mean, he, he's, he couldn't walk by somebody that had a need. One day in John 9, he's passing by and there's a, a blind man who begs. He, he, he begs on the side of the road just to get by. Jesus can't, Jesus can't just walk by him. He, ha, he has to do something about it. Whether it's the man laying there on his bed that Jesus says, get up and carry your bed home, or the leper that sort of, sort of comes through the crowd and touches Jesus, and Jesus reaches out and touches him, and the leprosy goes away. Jesus cry, or if it's two sisters crying in a cemetery. Our brother's been dead for four days. Well, he's not going to leave him in this condition. Lazarus, come forth. The widow name, there goes the casket. Jesus is passing by. He can't, he can't let this mom go by with her boy in that casket. And so he just touches the casket and raises the dead and turns the funeral into a hallelujah camp meeting. My goodness, that's, that's the kind of Jesus we serve. I guess what I'm trying to say is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is in this room tonight. And I don't know what you're going through. The doctor may have told you, I've done all I can do. It may be tonight you have a prodigal son or daughter or prodigal grandson or daughter, and they're so far away from God and they won't listen, and it just absolutely consumes your mind. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and nobody else in this room knows about it. Maybe your job is hanging on by a thread. Maybe your finances are just about to collapse, and you don't know where to turn. And I'm telling you tonight, Jesus Christ cares. And Jesus Christ is in this building. And Jesus Christ still does the impossible. Jesus Christ still does miracles. There's nothing too hard for God. With God, all things are possible. Reach out in faith and ask the living Jesus who is in this room to come to you and to meet your need and to give you your miracle. But there's a fourth purpose in the miracles of Jesus. I said they accredit his ministry. There is credentials. I said they give us a foretaste of what's to come. I said they reveal or show us his compassion and his mercy. But they also, and here's the biggie, they illustrate the power of the gospel. 
I think it's interesting that these miracles, the blind see, the lame walk, verse 5, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, that you have all those miracles, and the last thing is the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, let me tell you right now, the greatest miracle in the world is the soul getting saved. That's the biggie. That's the greatest miracle. That's the miracle of all miracles. And you do understand what the gospel is. We throw that word around, gospel, gospel, gospel. It's really simple. And the definition of the gospel is very precise in the word of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, here's the gospel. And he says, this is how the Corinthian Christians, how they got saved. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures to give us life. That's the gospel. So we're saved when we put our faith in the Jesus Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood to pay our sin debt and to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin and was raised from the dead to give eternal life and resurrection to anybody who would believe when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that simple gospel, you experience a new birth, a resurrection. You receive the very life of Jesus Christ himself. You are saved. And that the gospel has power. We don't have to decorate the gospel. We don't have to doctor it up, disguise it, and we sure don't need to dilute it. We just need to tell it like it is and preach it like it is. Let me tell you something, my friend. You can't manipulate anybody into being a Christian. You cannot force anybody in to being a Christian, lure them in, bribe them in. It's a miracle of God that is brought about by the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let me show you how big a miracle the gospel is. And, and, and this is the gospel that, that, that we should preach to everybody. When it talks about the poor here, yes, it's talking about the person who has nothing that is an outcast and everybody's turned their back on them. But it's also talking about the poor in spirit because no matter how much money you got in your bank account, we are all spiritual paupers. We have no righteousness. The Bible says no, not one. And so we're to preach this gospel. Preach this gospel to the lost. Look how powerful it is. Because, listen, these people's condition, it describes me before I got saved. Are you getting this? This describes us before we got saved. Notice the Bible says, the blind see. Before I got saved, I was blind in sin. The God of this age blinds the minds of the lost to the light of the glorious gospel. But when I got saved, God opened my eyes. And I want to tell you, everything looks different. The Bible, Jesus, me, everything. But notice the Bible says, not only do the blind, the blind see, the lame walk. Before I got saved, I couldn't walk with God. My will was fallen and paralyzed by sin. People say, well, I'll be a Christian when I can live it. Well, then you'll never be a Christian because you can't live it until you are a Christian because you've got to have new life in Jesus Christ. But when you get saved, God puts in you the Holy Spirit and you've now got the desire to walk with Him and you've got the power to walk with Him. But notice this, the Bible says the deaf hear. You know, Jesus would say to crowds, let him who has ears, let him hear. What does that mean? He's talking about the heart. And when I got saved, God gave me ears in my heart. And now I can hear the voice of God speaking through his word to my soul. 
And then notice the Bible says the dead are raised up. See, lost people are dead. I was dead in trespasses and sin. And the same Holy Spirit that came and raised Jesus from the dead came into my heart, came into your heart, and raised you from the dead. We have experienced a resurrection. We're not who we used to be. We're not who we are going to be. We're new creations. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. We're going to be glorified. We're saved, saved, saved. And it's all because of the gospel. So what on earth is the church to do in times like these? Why don't we just sit around here and talk about how crummy everything is? Why don't we just sit here and talk about how bad it is? Did you see the news this morning? Oh my! Or, 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 or hey, why don't we put our faith in a man? Yeah, let, let, let's find a man to be our savior. Let's find a man to be our deliverer. I want to tell you, my friend, the moral mess and the lostness of humanity cannot be solved by a mortal man. It can only be solved by a holy God. And God changes hearts one heart at a time. And what churches need to do is stop whining and start shining, stop pouting and start shouting. We need to rise, shine, give God the glory and spread the gospel and trust the gospel to do its work in the hearts of lost sinners. Let me tell you this. Listen very closely. I, this, this is not original. I don't know who said this, but it's the truth. When the world's at its worst, God needs the church to be at its best. So, it illustrates the power of the gospel. So, here's the answer that I've explained that he gives to John. Now, notice what he says. Jesus answers in verse 4 and says, Go tell John the things, because see, John's not there. Because John can't see what Jesus is doing with his eyes. He says, you go tell John while he's sitting in that jail cell, staring at those four walls, I want you to go tell John what I'm doing. You know what he's saying? I want you to go tell John that even when he can't see me working, I'm working. Even when he can't hear me working, I'm working. Even when he can't feel me working, I'm working. You know, several years ago, I received an invitation from a pastor, the First Baptist Church of Lavaca, Arkansas. I had never been to Lavaca, Arkansas. You had to fly to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then drive 25 miles to get to Lavaca. I had never been to Fort Smith. He wanted me to come and preach on one night. I believe that was a Tuesday night. The only way that I could get there with air travel was to fly American Airlines. And at that point in time in my life, I had rarely, if ever, maybe never, that I could remember ever flown on American Airlines. Just kind of keeping here in the deep south and flying on Delta, you know. So I had to get, a, I had to get me a, a ticket from American Airlines to, to fly out there to Arkansas. So on the Sunday before I was going to preach in Lavaca, uh, I got up and I preached like, you know, do every Sunday morning, gave the invitation, but I said this during the invitation. I said, I want to warn you. A lot of times the devil won't tell you not to be saved. He'll just tell you to wait, to put it off. Because he knows if, you can, if he can just get you to put it off, there may be no tomorrow. 
you know, death may be tomorrow or Jesus may come tomorrow. And, and, and I said, that's why the Bible says today's the day of salvation. So don't put it off. So ended the invitation, closed in prayer. On Tuesday, I go out to the airport here in Jacksonville. I go to the American Airlines uh, ticket counter. I get my boarding pass. I go to the little podium when they say to board the plane. And I'm getting ready to hand my boarding pass to the airline representative. He's standing there in his American Airlines outfit. And when he looks up to take my boarding card, he has the strangest look on his face. It was really odd. It was weird. I thought, what is that all about? He kept staring at me, you know. Took my boarding card, scanned it, gave it back to me. Thank you, and I went on and got on the airplane. <laughs> I'm sitting on the airplane now, put my little bag up there in the overhead. It's about half full. And all of a sudden, this guy, the American Airlines representative, he gets on the plane. He's coming down the aisle, and I can tell he's looking at me. And I'm going, you know, did something happen to my wife, the kids? Something happened at the church? They're trying to get me off this plane, you see, before I get, get, get traveling. And sure enough, he stopped right beside me. And people are going around him. They're trying to get in their seats. He looked down at me, and I looked up at him, and he said, uh, let me ask you something. Are you the pastor at North Jacksonville Baptist Church? Well, I really got worried. Then I said, yes. This is what he said. He said, I thought so. He said, I was in your service Sunday morning. He said, I was sitting in the balcony. And he said, you know that thing you said there at the end about to not listen to that, you know, the devil, he puts that idea in your head to just put it off, to wait. He won't tell you not to be saved. He said, that's exactly what I did. He said, that is exactly what I did. And he said, when I looked up and I saw you standing there, I thought, this is no coincidence. I said, it's not a coincidence. I said, the Lord wants to save you. I said, the Holy Spirit's drawing you. And I said, when I get back, and people now, the plane's just about full. I said to this guy, I said, could you come by my office? I, I want to talk to you about this. And we worked it out where he could come by on Thursday. Uh, he would be back, and, and we could talk about that. And plane's full. We're all strapped in, getting ready to go. I think, well, that's wonderful. What a blessing, you know. It, you just never know what's going to happen. And uh, all of a sudden, here he comes again. So what on earth now? And everybody's walking. This guy comes right back there to where I am again. And he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I got so blessed that I wondered if, I, if you'd permit me to give you a seat up in first class. Well, I had never at that time in my life ever sat in first class. And every time the planes I'd been on took off, they closed the curtain up there. I thought it was like, kind of like some kind of a fraternal organization or something. You know, you have to have a secret word or something to get up there. Well, I'll tell you exactly what I did. I said, absolutely, man. I, I, I opened that thing up. I got my bag. I walked through that plane like, you know, man, I, I'm somebody. And I sat down, and to my shock, they gave me the whole can of Coke and let me keep it. They gave me a real glass. They put a little linen thing there where the food was going to be. Uh, it, 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 as that plane was winging its way out west, I thought, Hallelujah, it pays to serve Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things, including a whole coke, will be added unto you. 
And you know what I thought later? I thought, this is amazing. Because this is what happened. I got back, and on Thursday, he came to my office right over there at North Jack's. And he sat across from in my office, and I explained the gospel to him. And I bat, he bowed his head, and he asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart as his personal Lord and Savior. And you know what, you know what I got to thinking about? How amazing God is and how God's always working. How that God moved on the heart of a preacher I didn't know in a place called Lavaca, Arkansas to invite me to go preach there. And the only, only way I could get there was to go American Airlines. And how God engineered this man's schedule and, and, and his life so that he landed right up there in the balcony. And, and how the Holy Spirit moved on me in that moment to say what I said about not putting off your salvation. And how that, that entire work that God was doing was brought to a climactic moment at a little podium when that man standing on that side and I'm standing here and he looks up and he realizes God Almighty is after me. That's what that guy was realizing. And he got saved. And it reminded me again that God is always working and he's doing a lot of stuff I can't see. So I came here tonight to tell you this simple truth. Jesus Christ the way is the way maker. And I want you to know, listen, listen. I'm not, I don't want to talk about what you're feeling. I want you to listen to me tonight. Jesus is working even when you can't see him working. Even when you can't hear him working. Even when you can't feel him working. He's always working. He's the great way maker. Amen. All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's all stand together. And pastor and staff are taking their place. And we're going to have an invitation here. And You know, as the guys begin, just to give us a little music here with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe God engineered your whole week to be here tonight and something in the music... Something that maybe even somebody said to you on the way in this building gripped your heart. And you say, I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. Well, you don't have to leave that way. If you'll come to the pastor tonight and say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Then we're going we're gonna to put you, pair with you, with somebody who has a Bible. And they're going to have a gospel conversation with you. And they're going to make sure you understand how tonight you can trust Christ as your Savior. How you can experience the power of the gospel. And there are Christians here tonight. You need to get your, you need to get your mind straight. You got all, you've let all this news and stuff you've been reading on Facebook and online. It's got you all upset and stirred up and afraid. And I'm telling you, Christ is, Christ is on the throne. He's working. Even when you can't see him working. You need to get your eyes back on Christ. In church, we've got to get our minds back on spreading the gospel. We've got to get our minds back on spreading the gospel. And then I want to say this. Maybe somebody needs to come and just stand down here around this altar. Kneel here. Come one. Come with friends. Somebody just needs to come down here and say, Lord, I'm bringing you my doubts. Just had some things in my life that shook me up a little bit. 
And I'm bringing those doubts to you tonight, Lord. And I'm going to just leave them right at your nail-scarred feet. I'm going to let go of them. Lord, I'm, going to, I'm giving my worry to you. Holy Spirit of God, would you minister hope and peace tonight in this place? In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord. Amen. As we sing with Jason, you come right now.